You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. RSA opens with 10 rising stars in its annual innovation sandbox. U.S., British, and French-coordinated strikes against Syrian chemical warfare targets prompt Russian information ops and warnings from Britain that the U.K. will retaliate against any cyber attacks against infrastructure. And charges are filed against an alleged Reviton ransomware money launderer. I'm Dave Bittner, coming to you this week from San Francisco, the city by the other bay, here at the 2018 RSA Conference, with your CyberWire summary for Monday, April 16, 2018. The RSA Conference begins today with the customary preliminaries, including the first rounds of off-site meetings hosted by companies and associations. And as a quick note to kick off the week, our publication and production schedule may be a little different through Friday. Our time zone is in San Francisco, but our circadian rhythm is in Baltimore, as, with apologies to Tony Bennett, are our hearts. The major event today at the Moscone Center, of course, is the annual Innovation Sandbox. Ten finalists will compete for this year's honors, with final pitches and voting taking place early this afternoon. The companies who will compete for top honors include Alcavio. The news continues elsewhere, of course, with kinetic action stoking information operations and putting contending powers on high alert for more directly damaging cyber offensives. Strikes against Syrian chemical weapons facilities over the weekend are influencing Western countries' calculations of the likelihood of Russian cyber retaliation. The closely coordinated strikes, carried out over a 10-minute period at 4 a.m. Saturday local time by U.S., British, and French forces operating in the region, were an attempt to cripple the Syrian government's chemical warfare capabilities and punish the regime for its recent use of them against Syrian civilians in the city of Douma. The strikes were also a warning to Russia, which is the Assad regime's principal international support, as well as to Iran, which has its own investment in the Syrian civil war. The first Russian responses to the strikes have been information operations, both online and published sympathetic media outlets following government lines in Syria, Russia, and Iran. Media in Russia, Syria, and Iran have generally denied that Syria conducted chemical strikes, that Russia altered or removed evidence of such strikes, that the 105 missiles fired were mostly intercepted, which on the basis of battle damage assessment photographs the U.S. released seems clearly false, that the attacks, while unsuccessful, will produce a refugee crisis, and that, of course, the strikes are simply malign American aggression. The U.S. Department of Defense Saturday reported a large increase in Russian trolling, quoting a figure of 2,000 percent, this should probably be read as a big increase in information operations, dressed up in some possibly exaggerated quantification. In fairness to the official Russian organs, we quote Sputnik, 2,000% compared to what? Still, a lot of action and plenty of trolls, 
by any reasonable estimation. Prime Minister May has been briefed on the likelihood that leading British public figures, including members of the Cabinet and other members of Parliament, will be attacked through release of scurrilous material, Compromat. Germany's Foreign Minister Heiko Maas this weekend reiterated his government's attribution of cyber attacks on his ministry's networks to Russia. Speaking to ZDF, he said, quote, We have an attack on the foreign ministry where we have to assume that it stemmed from Russia. We can't just wish all that away. And I think it's not only reasonable but necessary to point out we do not view those as constructive contributions. Those were comments that he made to Reuters. The U.S., also preparing for cyber attacks, is expected to impose further sanctions on Russian companies sometime today. As we explore the show floor at the RSA conference this week, countless companies will be vying for our attention, hoping to convince us that their solutions outshine their competitors and are something that we simply cannot live without. Paul Martini is CEO at iBoss Cybersecurity, where they provide a web gateway as a service, and we checked in with him for his thoughts on the cybersecurity marketplace and the ongoing shift to the cloud. You know, it's a very crowded market, and I think it's a crowded market for a reason. Cybersecurity is a very important aspect of society with state and nation warfare and cyber warfare and everything else. Um, And everybody um, is trying to find the silver bullet. I think the reality is there is no silver bullet when it comes to cybersecurity, Uh, just like there is no silver bullet to anything in life, uh, including, you know, seatbelts and airbags that are not going to definitively prevent a death in an accident. But the the thing um, in this market is to look at ways to collaborate and to get complementary technologies delivered in such a way that together that they can deliver overall better efficacy and better protection to end users, as well as simplify the job and the workload for IT professionals. So do you you think uh, this is an industry that is ripe for consolidation? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's more than just a consolidation of uh, mergers and acquisitions of companies. I think the, the consolidation will happen through the platform providers that enable uh, these uh, technologies to be delivered to the end user or to the IT administrators in a very simple way. Now, we certainly hear a lot of talk these days about um, third-party risk. What do you say to folks who push back and who say, you know, I want to keep, there's that old saying, I want my servers, you know, where I can see them. Uh, What do you say to folks who are hesitant to collaborate with outsiders? Yeah, you know, I think, um, especially when it comes to appliances uh, or or virtual equipment where, you know, they want uh, an IT administrator, security admin wants to see the server, the reality is, uh, you can't say the same thing about the employee. So you, know, you can't ask the employee to just sit in the office within the four walls that has all the perimeter defense for that employee. They're going to go home and you're not going to see them. The difference being that they're going to be on their laptop or on their phone accessing Office 365 or accessing other cloud applications or business applications and that fall outside of your control. So the shift to the cloud, because the applications have moved there, have nothing to do with cybersecurity. And that shift in momentum is happening regardless of whether cybersecurity wants to catch up or not, because it's easy to consume, easy to use, and allows all of these vendors, some of which may not be in the cybersecurity space at all, to deliver value uh, to a business. And so really as as, uh, the job of a cybersecurity industry or cybersecurity company is to see how we can apply this the same needed cybersecurity in a different world, in a world that you don't see the servers, 
and you don't see the applications because the world is moving to the cloud regardless of your your cybersecurity strategy. That's Paul Martini from iBoss Cybersecurity. And finally, at the end of last week, a Microsoft engineer entered a plea of not guilty before a federal judge in Florida. Raymond Udiale, 41, faces charges of conspiracy and money laundering. He's alleged to have been involved with the Reviton ransomware gang, famous for having used the FBI logo in its scare screens, and is said to have laundered money paid by ransomware victims. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Emily Wilson. She's the Director of Analysis at Terbium Labs. Emily, welcome back. Um, We are heading into conference season here. As we record this, we are uh, just heading into the RSA conference. Uh, You've been attending several conferences already this year, so we thought we'd go through some some tips and guidance for folks who may be heading off to some of the big shows. Yes, conference season is upon us. We are all, you know, booking flights and checking schedules and coming to terms with the fact that we're going to have to go to Las Vegas at least once. Mm. There are a few things that I I would recommend (laughs) for people, and these may sound obvious, but uh, the first one is be realistic about how many talks you can actually go to -to back-to-back and Mm. how much time you're going to need to catch up with people in between. Not all of these conferences are well-scheduled for uh, taking breaks and actually taking the time to network. And I think if you are trying to cram in every single talk, especially if you are running between different buildings of the Moscone Center, 
uh, or uh, you know whatever campus you're on, it's it's just not going to work. I think you also need time to digest in between. You know, take it in, let it settle. Sometimes I think that's important, and you should figure out what works best for you. If you're going to you know take notes and then type them up later, if you're going to uh, if you need to digest with yourself or with your colleagues immediately after each talk, you know, know yourself and don't try to uh, bend your strengths and weaknesses too much around a conference. Now, you and I often talk about uh, diversity issues, and uh, I'm curious, uh, for someone heading off, if maybe this is their first time at one of these big shows, uh, if I'm a young woman heading to a show, do I need to have my defenses up? Or what, what should I be prepared for? That's a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I would say a couple of things. One, I have had mostly positive experiences of chatting with, you know, I was recently uh, at a conference that had exclusively female speakers and 50% of those were women of color and tw- uh, 10 to 12% were, um, were trans and non-binary. And that's just one example of this is not that hard to do. And I think saying, uh, you know, it's hard because it's tech or it's hard because it's security, that just tells me it's not a priority for you. And it should be a priority because I think all of us walk into any space, a conference or anything else, and we want to see people who look like us there. And if we don't, what does that mean? And is it worth our time to stay? And, and, but I think it's important to, uh, when you talk about feedback, um, you know, there's that old saying that, you know, you get more flies with sugar than vinegar. I, I think, uh, you know, a fra- positive framing of constructive criticism, do you think that's the better way to go? I do. I think if you approach someone in frustration... Uh, they're going to get defensive just as any of the rest of us would if someone came up to us frustrated. But I think there is space for having an open and constructive dialogue about this and saying, you know, hey, I, you know, I noticed uh, I'd like to help. I'm curious how you went about. I'm curious what your plans are for next year, because there are so many incredible people out there who, whether we're talking about diversity and race or uh, gender, background, age, career path, experiences, There is so much to tap into in this community, and I think we should be taking advantage of it. All right. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.